focus less on the content and more on the art of behavior change if you really want to make a difference. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Michael Bungay-Stanier, who is the founder of Box of Crayons and the author of The Coaching Habit, which is a program that teaches 10-minute coaching to busy managers. I think that's Box of Crayons, and The Coaching Habit is a book that kind of expands upon that. So I'll let Michael actually explain that uh, in a second. But Michael, how's it going? It is. I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you give us a little background on kind of what your story is? Yeah, sure. So look, I'm Australian. I now live in Canada. So how the hell did I get to Canada? Well, I left Australia 25 years ago. I'd done a law degree and a a, a BA in Australia. I was lucky enough to win a Rhodes Scholarship. That took me to England. It did two wonderful things for me. One, it stopped me becoming a lawyer, which would have been depressing for everybody involved. And I met my Canadian wife there. So she was doing a PhD at Oxford. So I stayed in England, started my career in the world of innovation and creativity, moved to change management. At this stage, we're like, we don't, I don't like living in England because it's cold and gray and damp too much of the time. So we moved to Boston, lived in Boston for a while, moved to Toronto about 17 years ago. And I started Box of Crayons shortly after that. It started off in that classic, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'll do a bit of everything. But over the years, it's found its focus. And just as you said in the introduction, what we are now is a training company. We teach 10-minute coaching to busy managers so they can build better teams and get better results. Love it. Okay, great. So, yeah, I mean, I want to talk about, I guess, the so the 10-minute coaching. Well, how did you get to this point? You said you were trying a bunch of things in the beginning. I mean, what kind of things were you trying in the beginning? You're just throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, my business model was if it has a pulse and a wallet, I'm I'm interested in that conversation. And I had just enough knowledge through a bunch of things I'd done, you know, around creativity, around strategy, around communication, around market research, around branding. I could turn my hand to a bunch of different things. And you might know the metaphor that Jim Collins talks about in one of his books, The Good to Great Guy. He says, look, to build a good strategy, you want to fire bullets and then you want to fire cannonballs. And knowing what those are really makes a difference. Bullets are like your your tests. You know, they're relatively cheap. They're relatively risk-free. But your bullets allow you to find your target. Once you've found your target, you want to have the courage to fire the cannonballs, to kind of commit to that. And what he says is that for most people, they either fire their cannonballs too soon. In other words, they go, look, I think this is my idea. I'm just going to put everything into it and hope that it works. Or they fire their cannonballs too late or not at all. You know, they found their target, but they don't have the nerve to commit to the idea that they've figured out actually works. And, you know, this is all in retrospect. I wasn't smart enough to know this at the time, but at Boxy Crowns, we didn't, I spent a lot of time firing bullets. But then when I figured out that coaching 
and helping people be more coach-like. I'm not, I'm not really about training people to be coaches, but to be more coach-like is a subtle but important difference. I'm like, that really matters. That's going to make the world a better place. Secondly, I have an opinion on how to do that that's different from other people's approach to training coaching, so I can find a way to make myself stand out from the field. And thirdly, there's a market for this. There's people who will pay me to actually bring this new approach to thinking about coaching into the market. You've got that holy trinity, you know, a point of difference, a a degree of passion and a market. So that's when we really started to focus on that at Box of Crowns. And that's why we've got this singular focus right now. Love it. And how long did it take you to get to this focus? Well, we're 15 years old as a company. And certainly for at least the first five years, I was doing flapping around doing a bunch of things. Coach training was part of it, but it was just one of a portfolio of different things that I offered. I would say that we probably be doing this pretty much exclusively for seven years and probably for the last four years. We've gone, actually, this is all we talk about. You know, four years ago, I used to say that the purpose of Box of Crayons was to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work. So good work is like your job description. Great work is the work that has more impact and more meaning. And people like that, but it's a bit vague. And now when you hear me talk about Box of Crowns, I go, we teach 10-minute coaching so busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. It's just completely unambiguous about what we do. So people are like, I want to talk to you, or I'm not at all interested in talking to you, which is either one of those are, are good results. Got it. Love it. So I do want to talk about, I guess, let's talk about box crayons a little bit. So how do you make money? So we make our money through our training program. So we teach managers and leaders within organizations about how to be more coach-like. And so we have, you know, where we have clients around the world, mostly in North America, but they range from, uh, let's say, TD Bank, uh, one of the big banks in Canada and into the US, uh, Gucci, we've just started working with Gucci headquartered around the world and in, headquartered in Italy. Uh, Box in the Silicon Valley was a, a client of ours. Um, intuitive circle, uh, surgery, it's intuitive surgical in uh, Silicon Valley. You know, it's a real mix, but they tend to be Fortune 1000 companies. Got it. Okay, great. And so, how much? I mean, give us an idea of kind of what the the pricing structure look like looks like, and then kind of the average pricing. Yeah. So we we have worked really hard to stay really focused in what we offer because this is against my nature. Like I'm a kind of shiny object syndrome guy. So I'm like, oh, we could do this. Oh, here's another idea. <laughs> but you've you've heard the focus that we have around our offering, our USP around the 10-minute coaching. And we actually only have three programs that we offer. So it's very clear, very limited. You know, I'm trying to be Apple-esque in my focus. So we have two half-day programs and we have a, a one-day program. And so the two half-day programs, they go for $8,500 each for 12 to 40 people. And the one-day program, I'm not even sure what that goes for anymore because I'm not directly involved in the sales, but probably like 16000 something like that. Got it. Okay, sorry. So the, I got 16000 just now and the first one was? Uh, 8500 for the, the, the half-day programs of which we have two. Yeah. Great. And then what kind of numbers can you share around the business in terms of, you know, uh, customers, revenues, anything like that, growth rates? Yeah. So we're in the three to five million dollars in revenue range. We're actually on a growth tear at the moment. So last year we doubled in revenue in part because of this book, The Coaching Habit, has really taken off. And it is a direct 
avenue into a conversation about our sales program. So this is, I mean, this is this is secretly what I was hoping. Which is like, I, I'm really thinking this will be my, maybe this will be my cool marketing tool that will help the business. But it's 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 gone gangbusters. So yeah, we're in in that, and um, we train about twenty thousand managers a year through various formats. Love it. Okay. Awesome. So is the, so when you say, uh, usually, I mean, if it's 20 to 40 people, I'm assuming like a box, for example, they're just putting all their managers in because they want their managers to be better coaches. They do it for one to two days or one day or so, and then that's it. Yeah. Although we worry about the system. So a couple of things. One is there is an, an axiom in the training world that if you're just doing training, you're, you're going to lose because if you're stuck out on lonely training island, what happens is people, you know, grudgingly go off to training, they do the training and then they go back to their everyday work and they forget their training instantly. So you want to do a couple of things. One is you want training to be part of a bigger game, a small part of a bigger game. So you've got to connect it to something that the organization is up to, a challenge the organization is facing. So there's a reason for people to actually do this new thing that you're encouraging them to do. The other thing that's essential in training, particularly our stuff, which is about changing people's behavior, because the behavior change we want, Eric, is how do you help people stay curious a little bit longer and rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Because most managers, most leaders are advice giving maniacs, particularly in industries where there's like a lot of technical knowledge. They're like, let's get into the answers. And we're like, Answers are good. Advice can be useful. But can we stay curious a little bit longer? And if you want people to change their behavior and people are really well practiced at giving advice and they're not so well practiced at asking questions and staying curious, training doesn't do it. So we worry about the post-workshop sustainability. The way we put it is this. Drip irrigation always beats a flash flood. And if your half-day training event is the flash flood, so it gets people kind of immersed, you've got to worry about the drip irrigation that keeps the soil moist for the next three or four months after that so that people actually have an ability to remember and practice their new habits. Right. So do you have a, do you have a program afterwards that helps them do that? Like we, we, we do a bunch of things to try and do that because one single solution never works. Mm. So, you know, in the program itself, people actually articulate three to five brand new habits that they're going to go out and practice. They set, we set them up with accountability partners. We set them up so that they have a conversation with their manager. But the thing that's kind of most different in that we do is we have a text-based platform so that three times a week, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday afternoon, people get a short text that encourages them to engage and remember and connect to a commitment they have around one of the seven key questions that we probably taught them in the workshop. Awesome. So I do want to talk about the book because I mean the book is yeah. the book is on fire, right? The fact that here's the thing. I'll give you a little backstory around the book. So I went to Japan earlier, or I just I guess in December 2017, and I have two I had two books in my my luggage, and then uh, I remember hearing about your book before, and I had it sitting somewhere, and then I think I was watching some vi- uh, some video from Pat Flynn as I was um, as I was packing, and then Pat's like, he's, he's, a, he's he loves this book, so he's a great champion for it. Yeah, so he literally that's what happened. Like he's like this is the book I recommend. And I, so I emailed him afterwards. I was like you you just changed like the, the basically you you changed my my trip because I I swapped out another <laughs> book. So what happened was um as I was flying back, I read this the entire thing. I'm looking the books I'm holding it right now. I have a bunch of things like dog-eared, but um I read the whole thing in like one sitting. 
and it's it's changed everything right it's like the way and i'm a total advice giver just the whole concept of like st- taking a step back and asking questions um was completely new to me but th- let's talk about this book i mean it became a wall street journal bestseller i, I i'd say it's a success for you because the fact that we're talking right now is is because of this book so how did you make it so successful how did it take off well um a combination of hard work and good luck <laughs> of course <laughs> so we're just about we're we're a week away from the book's second birthday um so we've just been counting up the numbers of how many books sold it's it's closing into 400,000 copies sold so far wow. and exactly wow and honestly you don't sell that amount of books without just a little bit of lightning in a bottle you know that kind of that blessing from the gods that everybody hopes for and and rarely shows up but we worked really hard to give this book the very best shot that we could. And it started with some key design principles right at the start. So one of the design principles I had was, what is the shortest book that I could write that would still be useful? Because I believe too many business books are kind of bloated and, you know, they just got too much stuff stuffed in them. And I'm like, I need this to book to have a real elegance and a practicality to it. The second thing was, and this kind of ties in nicely with what you're saying, I went, look, this book, I'm designing this for it to be picked up in an airport bookstore. Somebody goes, oh, this looks actually pretty interesting. They flip it open and they go, wow, there's lots of white space. This feels accessible and not kind of overwhelming. And they can sit down and they can read it on an airplane flight. So accessible, practical, fast reading, not too scary. So there's that. Then we... um, you know, when you when you write a book, the general knowledge or the common assumption is to go, right, it's all about the launch. Make the launch huge and you try and get your book onto a bestseller list and then you collapse in exhaustion two weeks later and then your book kind of vanishes without trace. Whereas what we did is we made a commitment to say we will be fully committed to marketing this book for a year, getting the book out into the world. And that involved, you know, finding people and influences and giving lots and lots of copies away. But one of the smart things we did is we we basically went, who else has written a book that my target audience might have read? So, for instance, one of the books was Dan Pink's book, Drive, all about motivation. Terrific book. And what we did is we reverse engineered We've, we found out the 20 journalists, the highest ranked journalists who'd written articles and reviews of Dan's book. And then we pitched our book to them saying, hey, Dan Pink liked this book and you might like it as well. And it allowed us to get a much greater uptake amongst writers and bloggers and podcasters about the book than we might have done otherwise. And Eric, I mean, if people are super keen to find about all the marketing things that we did, I actually wrote a long article, like 7,000 words for Growth Lab. It's called, I think it's called How I Sold 180,000 Copies of My Book and Doubled My Business. And if they Google that and they're like, I just need to know all these tactics, in that article, I, I list all the things we did that worked, but also a bunch of things we tried that didn't work so well. I remember reading that actually. So how long did that entire process take? I don't want to go too much into weeds. We'll drop this in the show notes too. But yeah, how long did that entire process take? You said a year, but how long do you think it took for it to actually start to take off where people started to say, okay, we'll write a review or whatever? Yeah. So we launched the book on February the 29th, 2016. We had the book ready in October. The, the year before. So we actually had a much, because we self-published, we had more control about how to manage this. So we spent four or five months seeding the market before it's launched on February the 29th. 
And you know, before that, it, it it took me three years to write this book. I mean, it's really short. <laughs> and people are like, oh, it's so simple and straightforward. I'm like, hey, that's because it almost killed me to write this thing. Right. Um, but you know, if you if, so from the start, it's like three three years, a bit longer perhaps to write it. But once we got the book written, then it took us nine months to get in through the design process and the editing process, and then uh, five months pre-launch seeding and reaching out and preparing that and then just this ongoing commitment for a year year and a half to just be on podcasts write articles talk endlessly about the book which luckily because i love the book i don't mind doing it's just the same conversation over and over huh well it's 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 not totally the same conversation but you know it's like there are some questions that i have asked a lot i you know i have answered a lot of times <laughs> i'm like i know this i know my answer to this question because i've said it before yep Got it. Okay, cool. So I, I do want to dive in. I mean, there's some of the stuff in here is just so good. So I, I mean, the well, not some of it, all of it's good. But um, you know, I'm, I'm working on the, the, the book I'm working on right now is um, I basically was looking at yours like, yes, the coaching habits really easy to understand. You would definitely pick up in the airport. It's pleasant on the eyes. Um, it's really easy to go through. Like it's just I, I think the design of the book just across the board is great. But thank you. I guess the what I'm trying to get at is what are some of the like one or two key takeaways you think you could give everyone that is looking to get better at coaching instead of giving advice all the time? Yeah, well, the the, the first is that this will make your life better <laughs> because so often when you hear coaching, you're like, okay, well, coaching is good for the other person, but what's in it for me? I mean, I quite like giving people advice. But what you find is that if you're able to slow down the rush to give advice, that if you're a typical manager or a leader or just an, an, a human being interacting with other people, you end up having more impact but working less hard. And that's really powerful to see. You're empowering people. You're seeing them find their own path. But it actually saves you time and it saves you effort as well. And you know the, the book is, as I say, as simple as I could make it, that would still be useful. So there are only seven questions that we share in the book. But there are eight chapters, and the first chapter is actually about habit building because one of the things I really want is I want people to do things differently as a result of reading this book, not just going, I've read another book. So habits are the building blocks of behavior change. If you don't understand the science of habits and the science and art of building new habits, it's going to be really hard for you to upgrade your life, to, to level up. So we just, you know, if I was going to say one thing around this, it's like before you even get into the subtleties of coaching, figure out what it takes to change your behavior. And in the book, we talk about the new habit formula. You know, and this is me drawing on people like Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit, and BJ Fogg, whose website is tinyhabits.com, which is a great, great, great resource. And, you know, in the new habit formula, I go, look, three parts to it. When this happens, so that's the trigger, that's the situation, instead of, that's when you identify the old way of behaving that you want to change, I will, and that's when you define a new habit that takes 60 seconds or less to complete. And, you know, there's, people can Google this because, you know, it's, I've written about it and people can get access to it without having to buy the book, but understanding habit building would be the starting point. And then, Eric, I would say, Pick one question. It can be one of the seven questions that I talk about in the book. It can be another question that you just love and go, I'm going to just practice using this question and make this a habit and master that. 
And then when you've done that, you can decide whether you want to add more questions into your repertoire. So for me, you know, it comes back to this behavior change piece we talked about earlier, which is, look, I really want people to be curious a little bit longer, rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly. But most of us have that as a really deep, pervasive habit. It's not an easy transformation. So focus less on the content and more on the art of behavior change if you really want to make a difference. Right. You know, so reading your thing, I mean, it's completely shifted. It's, it's been a couple months and I could still, there's still a lot of improvement. But, you know, I just noticed like when I ask people, when, I'm, when I approach it with a point of curiosity, when they start to figure out the answers for themselves, they start to learn on their own, like you mentioned earlier. And they just, yeah. And then they don't need to, you don't need to be the bottleneck anymore, right? And I think that's one of the key things. I make a lot of people on my team read the the goal um, and that's, you know, about the concept of, of bottlenecks. So I think it's important. I guess my question to you, selfish, self selfishly, I guess, is sometimes when I ask these questions, you know, I find that I'm in a rush a lot. I talk really quickly. I find myself almost starting to interrogate them, right? And then they start to get on the defensive a little bit. So it's not so much approaching it from a position of curiosity anymore. I'm just wondering, like, have you faced that issue before and what did you do about it? So I'll give you a a hack that that might be able to help because there is a way that tone is everything, And there is a way that sometimes you can turn these things into kind of drive-by shootings. Like, I'm just going to fire questions at you until you finally crumble. That doesn't work for anybody. So one hack, one one thing you could try is at the front of, of all your questions, just add the phrase. So just out of curiosity. Mm. So just out of curiosity, what's on your mind? So just out of curiosity, what's the real challenge here for you? And what that does is it lightens the pressure to you have to get the answer right. Because sometimes you can ask that question, which is like, yeah, I'm asking you the question. And if you get it wrong, I'm going to be disappointed because I've got an answer in my mind. But just out, of, just out of curiosity, what's the real challenge here for you? Just adds a little lightness into the conversation. And uh, you're holding the question and their answer lightly, which makes, makes for less pressure. I love that. The, the second piece is uh, a physical piece, which is notice what you're like physically when you're at your best. You know, you're at your most curious when you're like, I am rocking this conversation from this coach-like perspective. And then notice what you're like when you've kind of lost it a little bit and it becomes, it starts feeling like an interrogation. Mm. Because here's the counterintuitive thing, your body leads your brain. So if you want to get to that first state, that place of kind of more genuine curiosity, understanding what physical cues you want to send yourself will really help. And you're like, oh, you know, when I'm really curious, I I have, you know, my buttocks aren't tense. I sit back (laughs) in my chair and I and I have a smile on my face. So give yourself those physical cues and you'll find yourself back into that state of mind. So what I'm hearing is it's all about the delivery. It's all about the delivery. And if you realize that your body leads your brain, get your body in the state it is in when it's at its best, and then your brain will go, oh, well, this is good. I, I understand. I'm at my best here. So I get to be curious in the best possible way. Love it. Okay, great. Well, just working towards wrapping up here, two more questions from my side. So aside from your book, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? 
Ah, oh, there's so many good. I mean, there's so many terrible books, but there are so many really great books out there. Let me give you a book that people won't have heard of because it came out this week. And in fact, it's out in Canada. I don't think it comes out in the US for another two or three weeks. It's by my friend Mark Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N. It's called Truth and Lies. Mark is really, I think, the world's foremost proponent on influence and body language. He has a fantastic TEDx talk, TEDx Toronto. Mark Bowden, his company is called Truth Plane. And his new book, Truth and Lies, is the best thing he's written. So this will be, if you're curious to, to kind of know what people are thinking in your dating life, in your family life, in your work life, this could be a really great book for you. Love it. Okay. And what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like Evernote. Yeah. Honestly, the thing that's really helped me, this is kind of non-technical, is I have a chin-up bar that I've hooked up and around my, my office door. So when I walk into my office, I try and knock out two or three chin-ups because I'm just, because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, old, white, flabby man. So I'm like, okay, I need to get a little less flabby and a little stronger. So, you know, I work out, I go down to my gym three times a week, but having the chin-up bar, it's just one of those environmental prompts to say, hey, do a couple of chin-ups here and you just, you just get better because you do it regularly. Love it. Okay. Well, Mike, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, perfect. So look, if you're interested in the coach stuff, the coach training, boxofcrayons.com. If you're interested in the book, thecoachinghabit.com. And honestly, you can download, I think, the first three or four chapters there. And there's a bunch of other free resources you're welcome to grab. And then if you're interested in me, this is my full name, michaelbungaystania.com. And there's a, a good ebook on how to be more courageous there that people can pick up. Love it. So usually I would end the podcast right here, but I just want to kind of reiterate. I mean, so everyone, the most recommended book on here is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. But I would say this is a must read. If anybody, like most of the audience here is entrepreneurs, this is a must read in my opinion because everyone just likes to jump into advice. So go out there, get the book. I mean, the reason Mike's here is because I read the book. I, I really vouch for it. I think it's, it's a game changer. So go check it out. But Mike, thanks again for doing this. Totally my player. pleasure, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.